Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The go through some emails, check your calendar, see that you have a 45 minute break in the day between meetings, realize this is your moment. So you drive right to McDonald's to pick up something extra delicious ASAP meal. Thank you. There's a meal for every moment at McDonald's. Buy one of your select faves and get another for just a dollar every morning, like a sausage McMuffin or hash browns. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Valid for product of equal or lesser value. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Cowboy meal valid when product served. Welcome to episode number 63 of the LSR podcast. My name is Matt Brown, joined each and every week by the brightest minds in all of the gaming industry with me, Dustin Galker, Adam Candy. We are going to talk about what's going on in Illinois. We are going to talk about perhaps some very, very big news coming out of Massachusetts. And of course, we will talk about some numbers as we always do here on the show, guys. We are on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, all the places you get your podcasts. Please go in, subscribe, rate, and review at Dustin Galker, at Adam Candy, two E's, no Y over on the Twitter machine. So let's kick things off here, guys. And we got a little, we got a little angry last week. We got a little bit angry on the pod and here we go yet again. Golly, what is going on up there, Adam, in in Illinois? I'm not going to full on call shenanigans. This feels like shenanigans, though. Matt, I am Illinoid. I'm sorry. <laughs> everyone just, the Fine. truth is that everyone just got Illinoid uh, by Governor J.B. Pritzker. Apparently at the end of last week, very quietly, uh, the governor did not renew his executive order allowing for mobile sports betting signups to happen remotely. That very suddenly ended that open period on Sunday. Now, what's interesting about that? Uh, that period looked like it was just about ready to include DraftKings and FanDuel and potentially some other operators, but especially DraftKings who had found its way around the penalty box that had been put into the Illinois law to try to keep it out of the market in the early days by its deal with Casino Queen and its rebranding. That was announced on Thursday. By Friday, the governor had not renewed his executive order. So Run through some things in your head when you think about this. Do you think DraftKings would have gone forward as far as putting out pre-registration offers on social media if they thought that the next day they would not be able to have signups for sports betting accounts remotely in Illinois? Uh, And you also have to ask the question, who does this benefit? Well, there's only one company as of today that has the ability to offer mobile sports betting And that is Bet Rivers, which is Rush Street, which is very well connected in the state of Illinois. So that's where we are right now. Uh, Illinois is a massive mess. We're back to it having to be in-person registration. The governor reopened casinos in the state on July 1st. He then took away the ability to sign up remotely here at the end of July. 
So, Dustin, for those who have not followed along with Illinois, I mean, this has been an ongoing saga with this state, right? I mean, we have been following, obviously, very closely because it's such a huge state, tons of sports in the state, a lot of colleges, prominent programs, things like that. So we're we've been hopeful that things were going to get going there in Illinois. But, man, uh, this has just been it seems like this has just been one thing after another here. Yeah, and this goes beyond just uh, sports betting and all the the players here involved. And you know, uh, Adam talked about Rush Street Rivers Casino near near Chicago. That's a big a big lobbying influence in the state. But this is just politics in general. And I know it's complicated. It's you know probably uh, more complicated than just about anything that goes on in the United States at the state level in terms of politics. So just that's the that's that's why it's almost amazing that we got a sports betting law through there at all, given how complicated anything is and in Illinois. So when we saw, when we saw all this happen, we're like, okay, the, the governor has seen, okay, this is not a good idea. Casinos are struggling right now. We're going to have uh, remote registration. Things are going to be great. And sports betting is really going to get off, uh, off the, off its feet here in Illinois. And then we saw, yeah, this, this kind of out of nowhere, something happens and uh, we don't, we, we just, we turn this figure off very suddenly. And this is, you know, we'll, uh, we've, we've talked about in terms of what other states are doing, like New Jersey and Pennsylvania doing gangbusters with remote registration and, and, and good opportunities for, for users. That's not going to be the case in Illinois for, for quite some time now, now that we're back to in-person registration. So, Adam, where are we then with all of these operators that, like you mentioned, had had plans to get going here? I mean, are we are where is DraftKings? Where are these these sites right now that had, had made all these deals and probably spent an ample amount of money to get ready for launch there in Illinois? Yeah, you led me right down the path, Matt, because I was going to say is where they are is poorer than they were last week, uh, especially DraftKings, but also from what I've heard, FanDuel as well had outlaid some significant cash to get ready for this. Um, This was an enormous opportunity for both DraftKings and FanDuel to get into this market a year and a half sooner than they thought they were going to be able to. Go back to the lawmaking process last year that essentially tried to lock out DraftKings and FanDuel, and there are some old wounds here. Go back to 2015 when Attorney General Lisa Madigan put out an opinion saying that daily fantasy sports were illegal gambling. And so now she says that they're not supposed to be operating. DraftKings and FanDuel continue to operate. You have Rivers, who is feeling aggrieved by the presence of what they consider to be bad actors. They nearly were able politically to get DraftKings and FanDuel locked out for three years. Essentially, they were able to have that 18 months. DraftKings found a way around it. FanDuel is in the process of finding a way around it. If you remember during the lawmaking process, DraftKings and FanDuel had dumped a million dollars into an ad campaign against Rivers that Governor Pritzker had specifically asked them to stop running. So we are in, as Dustin mentioned, the middle of a huge political dust up. We're truly the only winner right now is going to be Rivers, where they have exerted their political influence during the lawmaking process, potentially during this process as well, although we don't know that for sure. And they are going to be the only ones offering online sports betting for a bit here, uh, PointsBet might also benefit from this in the end because they have a great location at Hawthorne Racecourse in Chicago. They have the closest book to Chicago, but you're still going to have to go in person to sign up to register. All right, guys. So speaking of Rush Street here, we have seen a lot of gaming companies here recently that have been looking to 
get on the the public stock market and they have gone public and we've seen, you know, we, we even had one that happened that we really, really didn't even talk about that much here on, on the podcast and what was going on with kind of like the gold nugget and what they were, what they had going on. We of course talked about DraftKings as well, but uh, Dustin, here we go with, with Rush Street. Yeah. So uh, I think Oprah is giving out SPACs right now in the online gambling space because of every, everything going on. It's just, everybody's going public. We have Rush Street Interactive of the aforementioned Rush Street Gaming. It's, it's online gambling arm. It's going public via a reverse merger with a blank check company, and much like we see saw with uh, with DraftKings and and what it did to go public in, in the, on Nasdaq. So this is yet another online gambling company that you can invest in. It's a company that has done done well in the early days of of Pennsylvania and New Jersey. It has an online casino in both both of those states as well as law, as well as sports books. It's expanded to sports betting in states where it doesn't even have a, a casino presence and, and is being aggressive on that front. So, you know, if you want another another speculative online gambling company to invest in, this is this is yet another one. Uh, they have they're going to have the presence in Illinois. They're certainly going to, to find a way into Michigan, which launches later this year for online sports betting casino. Uh, but, yeah, it's uh, just uh, this current trend of uh, of going public around online gambling and sports betting. It's it's a a hot topic that is not going away. And, uh, you know, I guess we wouldn't be, we, we probably expect more of this in the near future from, from other companies that are looking to cash in. So Adam, this is a bummer about Illinois that we kicked off the podcast with, but there is, I was just kind of following along on the Twitter machine here. I mean, I'm not going to say completely out of nowhere, but definitely moving more brisk, I think, than maybe any of us thought here. I'm not going to go ahead and use my one time for 2020 here on this. I'm going to use that for a vaccine for the COVID to come through. But like, let's use a, uh, we'll use a a mini one time here on Massachusetts. Wow, you you really brought the house down on that one, Matt. Uh, (laughs) I I won't use my one time on sports betting when COVID's involved. (laughs) Good choice. Yeah, yeah. Um, Massachusetts bill passed the house. Uh, Sports betting attached to a jobs package in Massachusetts. We know it's had support. Uh, Governor Baker has been in support. DraftKings is obviously headquartered there. The bill was originally tailored pretty narrowly. uh, It looked like it was going to favor... DraftKings and FanDuel uh, pretty closely. Now, some changes were made. We'll see how those ultimately play out, uh, whether more operators are able to get into the market. What I think is interesting is that the House passed this bill overwhelmingly, but everything we've read and some things that I've heard individually as well suggest that it could have a much harder time in the Senate than it did in the House. So I would not count on, if I lived in Boston, Uh, being able to bet within the Commonwealth instead of going to Rhode Island or New Hampshire, which is what we know that some people in Boston have been doing to get their sports bets down. And Dustin, of of note, I guess we should uh, we should say that is where DraftKings is, is headquartered there in Boston. Yeah, I mean, DraftKings has been pushing for uh, online sports betting, certainly for a while now. They, I mean, ever since the federal ban and probably even working on it beforehand, I mean, they got, uh, it's interesting, they got through their daily fantasy sports bill, the one that uh, formally legalized them uh, into perpetuity through one of these budget bills, an economic development bill, and uh, obviously the Holton Sway, they are a huge employer in Boston. Um, and yeah, they, they have, they obviously are on the ground and have lobbying efforts. So, you know, I, I, you don't discount their efforts, but you know, as Adam says, this is, you know, it was, it's one thing to get it through one chamber. There's always, there's, 
as we know from all these states that we cover, there's a, there's a different dynamic in, in the other chamber often. And yeah, we're, uh, I don't, yeah, DraftKings is probably not sitting here saying we have it done yet, but uh, there's a chance, which is about all you can ask in, in these states uh, when there's short time left. Yeah, that would be, again, like I said, not going to use my one time, but that would be pretty neat. That would be, uh, that'd be pretty neat for that to uh, go ahead and come through for us there. Um, Dustin, there is something that maybe a lot of people who are kind of new to the sports betting industry that don't really know exists out there. If you've been embedded in this a long time, you understand that there is a federal excise tax that is goes on and, and is associated with sports betting and has just kind of been there for the longest time kind of sitting doesn't generate a ton of money but when you're operating on such an incredibly small margin as sports books are anyway it actually can be significant and it seems like there is at least another effort here there's been a little bit in the past it looks like there's at least another effort to say guys what are we really doing here this is kind of unnecessary why don't we get rid of it yeah, we have a, a bipartisan bill in Congress to get rid of the federal sports betting excise tax. That is a a law that or a tax that takes 0.25% of all wagers uh, across the country. It doesn't include every single wager, but you know, and of, for commercial operators, uh, Nevada have paid, have paid this for a while. This is often impacting pretty much everybody who's opening up in states around the country. So. You know, that's a lot of money that is not going, you know, just going to the federal government. And we don't really have a great idea of where it's going. It's tens of millions of dollars, certainly, as as billions are wagered in the United States. And we have uh, a couple of Congress people who are have introduced a bill to, to, to end that just to get rid of the tax, which would certainly make a lot of sense. It's, it was originally meant to, uh, we think, get rid of to combat illegal gambling it's certainly not doing that so this is just yeah just another tax on on the uh, the nascent legal sports betting market as it gets get going here and it would certainly be smart to put it away now is this uh, this going to happen who knows it's uh, it's a it's certainly a start of an effort and we we certainly hope and support that it does and uh, uh, we'll see where it goes from here but it does at least have both democratic and republican support and adam the reason that we 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 talk about this and bring this up is because even though it's not an incredibly large uh, amount of money to the government, it, to these books and what we've kind of preached here on this podcast for the last couple of years now is, you know, hey, look, education is going to be so incredibly big, really doing marketing and and a push about a PR push about, hey, come to the legal side here. This is where you should be betting and the reason and and, and filling people in on all that. Having a little bit of extra money in the chamber for these sports books to be able to do this type of stuff and to be able to do these things could, could actually really help. And again, they are operating on such an incredibly slim margin as it is anyway. Matt, what it ultimately does is removes a barrier to entry if you're not one of the huge, huge operators that has been either internationally active or one of the big DFS companies that has turned into a sports betting company. Any sort of break that you can get from that regulatory regime is going to be beneficial to you uh, when it comes to revenue. So, you know, if you're trying to break in and you're trying to get the best bang for your buck, then yes, getting rid of that quarter percent on handle is enormous. The other thing is there's a piece of precedent that comes along with that, that if you go back to the integrity fee debate of the last couple of years, realize that the idea of taking 1% of handle has some origins in that quarter percent of handle. That was the only tax that existed in the nation outside of the tax in Nevada, which we know is operated 
uh, for a long time on gross giving revenue at six and three quarter percent. So it has a bad connotation uh, that goes back a little bit as well. As you mentioned, it is an industry that operates on thin margins. It is an industry that operates on volume. If you look at Nevada's historical hold going back decades, you see that sports books hold 5.4% of bets. 5% is not a lot of profit when you're trying to build a business, especially if you're trying to build a standalone business on sports betting. If you're not one of the legacy casino operators, if you're not a DFS company that is also adding casino, uh, you need every penny you can get to compete in a market where the big boys have billions of dollars to play with and you have companies like Rush Street that are going public for the purpose of raising more cash to compete. You brought up Nevada, so let's go ahead and get after it here. We talk about numbers often here on the podcast. We were able to get some numbers come out of Nevada and uh, as you would expect, less than optimal. Am I allowed to just say woof? And leave it there uh, for the Nevada sports betting report because sure. that's kind of, yeah, well, I, I won't. Uh, but that's kind of <laughs> how it feels, though. Um, for the first time in three months, we were able to get figures on revenue and handle from Nevada. Some complicated pieces of the reporting law in Nevada meant that we did not have any numbers from the state. And frankly, you can understand why they wouldn't want those numbers out. Um, I mean, you're looking at a, a three month take for Nevada of over $130 million. It's, it's not pretty. Uh, when you compare it to New Jersey, when you compare it to Pennsylvania over the same period, Nevada doing less than half the handle of New Jersey during that time. Why is that the case? It's pretty easy to figure out. New Jersey and Pennsylvania have remote registration for sports betting accounts, meaning that when physical casinos are closed as they were during the COVID pandemic, you can still sign up for a sports betting account. In Nevada, you have an archaic law that still re uh, requires you to go down to a casino to open an account. Now, give credit to some of the operators here, like William Hill, like Circa. They got creative. Uh, they did drive-through signups. They did uh, drive-through deposits. Great. It's still a, let's say, a small substitute for being able to have fully mobile registration and funding of your account. 78% of bets in Nevada during that time period, during that three month period were placed via an app. That still doesn't touch what New Jersey and Pennsylvania do in a normal month at 85 to 90%. So if there ever were a potential wake up call to Nevada regulators to see the benefit in having fully mobile sports betting, this would be it. We can only hope. We, we can, can only, only hope. yes. I mean, we, we can only hope here. We'll go ahead and click this over to where everyone can see our faces when we go. We're not very optimistic about, no, we're not, not very optimistic that this is how this is going to go. Um, but all right, uh, Dustin, let's, uh, let's take a look here at DraftKings and Canby. This has been a story that we have been following for uh, several months now, whenever it was announced that the DraftKings was going to be making some moves as to how they were going to operate on the back end. And it looks like we finally have some details as to when their partnership with Canby might be coming to an end. Yeah, we talked about DraftKings going public as part of that. It became, uh, it, it took over or merged with SB Tech, a platform provider for online gambling. And the plan was always to to move eventually to that for all of its, uh, for the back end and how, how, 
how they uh, run their online gambling operations for sports betting casino. So now we have Camby, who is their provider and who's helped them launch back in 2018 in New Jersey and helped them develop their sports betting product online. Uh, they have said they would end their relationship uh, by at the end of September next year. Uh, there is does seem to be some wiggle room where they could extend that if things aren't going well. DraftKings could also decide to migrate uh, its product over to the SB Tech platform fully even before that. But this gives Camby uh, some, some revenue certainty and, a, and, a, and, a, and what looks to be an end date in all of this that uh, they'll, they'll still share with, in revenue with DraftKings in terms of what they do for sports betting and casino until uh, that date in 2021. So uh, this is as much a kind of a shareholder and uh, revenue move as it is anything else, but it does give us a little bit of a window into what DraftKings thinks it's going to do and that it should be moving to the SB Tech platform sometime next year. Adam, I've made it very well known that I am very, very interested in this Colorado market as we move into NFL season now specifically. I mean, now that we are really going to see the the prize jewel here of the sports betting, uh, sports book world anyway, and how all of this is going to shake out. We did get some numbers to see how things look over there through June. And, uh, you know, look, end of the day, Colorado, not a ton to bet on. Pretty good numbers. Still significant growth month over month uh, from a partial month in May where you only had a handful of operators and you still are looking at uh, less than 50% uh, maturity in that market in terms of the amount of operators that are in, but revenue up significantly, handle up as well. As you mentioned, uh, the real hand-to-hand combat is about to begin in Colorado. Uh, You are going to see the big bonus offers start to come out as the calendar turns to August later this week as football season approaches. So uh, who's ready to compete in that market when it comes to handing out the $500 and potentially more free bets? Uh, Who is coming into this market with the idea of we're going to have better odds and prices and that's what's going to win the day? These are the things that we're going to see play out in the Colorado market over the next few months. And uh, I think it's going to be absolutely fascinating to see. We saw a play up, a new entry uh, announce its plans to get into the market. They're going to be first time into the U.S. market from Australia coming in in Colorado. We got word of that recently. And uh, it's it's going to be a situation where you have as many as three dozen licenses being available in the state of Colorado. And uh, I, I know you're firing up the Matt Brown private plane to head up to Denver and uh, see what you can pull off here. Yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, I think this is going to be we're going to find out who's right and who's wrong here. Now, will things will play out over multiple years here, but we have the we have the camp out there that says, oh, no, the best price is going to win out. And then we have the camp out there that says, no, 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 it's going to be the best offers that win out. And so we're going to have that offered in Colorado for everyone. And so I am. Very, very interested to see how this plays out. Is it going to be, are people actually price conscious? I mean, this is, these are something that we have our doubts about. I have it anecdotally, but, uh, you know, we're really going to see this play out in a large scale here because it's new, several options on the table. There's going to be the bonus, the gigantic bonuses and match bets and things like that from the guys you would expect it from. And then we know the new players that are, I say new, but kind of the old school players that are going to come in there and, they say they're going to build their business off of offering the the best odds and the best price and the the smallest hold on some of these uh, bigger events. And so we're going to see how this all plays out in Colorado, going to be fun for us to monitor moving forward here. Um, Dustin, another thing that 
we talk about a little bit here on the pod, but we're going to give some love to is poker. And this has been the World Series of Poker has been going on here in Nevada. And when I say here in Nevada, actually here in Nevada and over in New Jersey. And I think one of the things we've seen with the compact between those two states is, look, just with two states and there are people that are traveling to these two states to play these specific events. So there is that caveat. This isn't just something that happens all the time, but we've had some pretty massive prize pools. I mean, we've seen, you know, these, these online bracelet events that are happening with the WSOP that are, you know, big time six figures for first place. And and, I mean, we're talking serious money, serious cash that can be won. And that's just between two states that have uh, the, the, the inner thing. I'm not even count. I'm not going to count Delaware. We're we're counting. We're just counting, you know, we're, we're, I'm not counting Delaware. We're just going to count the the Nevada and New Jersey here. So you actually want to talk about a little bit of an idea here of, Hey, where, where could, where could poker be if there actually is shared liquidity? Yeah, I mean, that's the the golden goose for for other forms of online gambling, right? This is having online poker uh, available across multiple states. Uh, We've seen a pickup in online poker in the states that have it uh, during the pandemic and people looking for that way to to gamble online and and poker has had a little bit of a resurgence. But uh, yeah, we're hoping that there's a lot of excitement and getting questions about this all the time because we have Michigan online gambling coming live later this year with poker probably there. Pennsylvania has not joined the, the, the compact with those states yet, but does have online poker. We have West Virginia as, as online casino in addition to online sports betting could be poker there. So all of a sudden, if you get all these states together somehow, then we're talking, you know, a pretty, pretty decent population base to start really growing online poker in the United States. Now, the, the practical part of this is that it's we're not that close to any of that either. We, you know, we need the governor of Pennsylvania to say, yes, we will join that compact. We need we don't know what's going on in Michigan, although there is legislation to kind of move forward liquidity sharing. Uh, West Virginia, we don't even know if online poker is going to launch there. So it's it's really complicated. And I'd love to be able to sit here and tell you, yes, you're going to be able to play on, on online poker rooms that are much bigger than they are now uh, across much of the United States. But we're just not quite there yet. Uh, and, and it's a little complicated in the near future. So we're, we're hoping that, you know, that we see some progress here. More states legalize online gambling alongside sports betting and suddenly maybe have a little bit more of online poker. But a good piece over on online poker report about this and, and where things sit across the United States. And guys, to close things out today, um, you know, we said we were a little angry in this pod coming in. And so there was some anger towards Illinois. We're going to close this thing out with a little bit more anger here. Um, you know, one of the things, and we actually mentioned this when we were talking about how the little bit of extra money might help these sports books in their PR, PR efforts, in, you know, education efforts and things like that. And I think that we saw this really kind of rear its ugly head here, guys, this past week when we saw a piece come out. I mean, we're talking the New York Times here, and this isn't the first time that this has happened. And Dustin, I know that you were kind of documenting the multiple times that this has actually happened over the course of the last several years here, but especially in 2020, as we sit here, I mean, you're in New York. I mean, you're right next door to where this all kind of happened in New Jersey and whatnot. And the fact that there are articles being written that are sourcing people that we know are probably not even real people that are sourcing offshore (laughs) sports books over and over and over again, when it's just completely unnecessary it's just shocking. It, it's shocking to me as we sit here again at the end of July in in the year of our Lord 2020. Yeah, I mean, New York Times 
did a piece that entirely talked about offshore sports books and how they're dealing with the coronavirus, right? So they talked to Bavada and Bet Online, uh, two two of these offshore sports books. And yes, we, I mean, the New York Times is aware of offshore sports books that they operate illegally in the United States. They did it. If you've been doing this for a while, you remember a 2015 investigative piece that they they did a lot of reporting on about about what goes on in Costa Rica and at these offshore sports books and how they serve the U.S. illegally. And so, yes, we but two years into legal U.S. sports betting, a story that's only cites offshore sports books. You could go across the border to New Jersey and have dozens of sports books who are willing to talk to you about this. You have actual legal physical sports books in upstate New York. You have Vegas. It's been around forever. You have to go out of your way to only cite <laughs> offshore sports books. It is so hard. Like, it's just, I mean, and they don't even only out of your way. It's it's just lazy because you got a PR pitch probably from Bet Online or Bovada and said, Hey, this is what's going on. You want to write about this, and uh, and you know you can you can excuse reporters who are maybe a little busy at other at other media outlets, but the New York Times there's just there's not really any excuse for this. So it's it's angering. And we just talked to Casey Clark from the AGA last week about these media efforts and what and the education efforts need to go on. So it's all very frustrating that we're seeing it from a mainstream media outlet just you know legitimizing what offshore books who are not operating here illegally. Uh, Adam, and and look, to give credit where credit's due, right? I mean, we should at least give credit to these offshore books because they have figured out how to keep their name in the news cycle throughout the course of not only legalization, but, you know, several years now, a couple of years now into legalization. They really amped up their PR efforts and they're not really solely relying on just SEO search and things anymore. Like they're actively saying, hey, if you want to get a quote from us, we're more than willing to give you a quote and it's working a lot more times than we can even imagine. Matt, the only way I can say give them credit is in the same way that, you know, when a political candidate wins a race and gives his acceptance speech and the very first thing he says is, well, let's give my opponent credit. He ran a great <laughs> race. I don't want to give that credit. I have to. Uh, you're right. But uh, the other piece of this is that for so long, these offshore books were able to conflate what they do with Las Vegas. And I put Las Vegas in big air quotes. And so you saw a baseball writer in Chicago today write about odds that the World Series will happen. And it was retweeted by Keith Olbermann, obviously a big uh, media personality. And it said, Vegas touts say X, Y, Z. And they added bet online. And you just you can't you can't say any more than that. They have successfully created the perception that that is something that is related to Las Vegas when, in fact, they are the polar opposites of each other. So I guess my question becomes then here before we get out of here, guys, is I mean, is there anything we can do about it? I mean, like, is there anything that we you know, the, the three of us, is there anything that we can do? about this at all is this are we just really hoping that the the aga really really steps up their game as far as education and the pr efforts as to where you can go about getting these things if you want to write a story on topic a b c d whatever it might be like what can we do or are we just kind of like uh we got to sit back and, and complain about it here on the podcast a couple of times <laughs> that's all we can do is complain i really know i mean what it has to do if you're a sports book operator you should just be copying what these guys do right you should be you know they do they have good press uh, operations at these sports books right but not uh it's just not quite as savvy as what what they have done or what the offshore books have done over the years so 
I think you just you try to beat them at their own game. You dedicate resources to this. You get just get in people's inboxes all the time. You can't. You don't have the exact same offers again. Like there's not. We're often talking about things that are not offered on on legal markets. So there's plenty of opportunities to talk about what is happening in legal markets. So you know, I just I think sports books. You know. They do have good press operations. They just need to ramp it up even more. You need this is this is what you're fighting against, and you, you see all these mainstream media mentions all the time. It's this isn't just going to happen organically or by the three of us wishing it away or complaining on a podcast. It needs to be an active, uh, active something that the sportsbooks have to do actively all the time, and thinking about what can we do to get into the mainstream media and turn this narrative away from from the offshore books. Dustin, I agree. And I think the other piece that we need to consider is that this isn't about stories about baseball betting. I think that's probably why the New York Times article offended me as much as it did, because a lot of times when you see the offshores quoted in mainstream media outlets, it's about markets that aren't being offered in legal sports books, right? It's about things like the Oscars or weather or global warming or, or things that you're just not going to see offered in any regulated environment. That's why that story bothered me. But I also feel like when you have legal sports books that offer something like the hot dog eating contest, that's where you really need to get out there and push the name. Because the reason a lot of these reporters remember the offshores is that they're getting these pitches that are for exotic markets. And they're the ones that you kind of get a chuckle from and say, wow, you can bet on anything now. Well, you can bet on anything offshore. You've never been able to bet on anything in Vegas, and you can't in most of the legal markets, but that is the headline-grabbing stuff. So when you have some of these slightly, I'll call them off-brand markets, whether it's uh, Belarusian soccer, ding, or, or table tennis uh, in Russia, it doesn't matter. Those are the ones that I think are more headline-grabbing, and I would actually focus some of my PR efforts around that. Guys, as always, everything we talk about here on the podcast, you can find over at LegalSportsReport.com. And of course, that great online poker story over at our sister site, OnlinePokerReport.com. So be sure and head over there and take a look at those. We are on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google. So please go and subscribe, rate, and review. We really do appreciate those. and helps us climb up that chart. More people can find this very here podcast. If you want to follow Dustin on Twitter, you should, at Dustin Galker. If you want to follow Adam, you should as well at Adam Candy. That is two E's. No, why? Why you would ever want to follow me? I have no idea. At Matt Brown M2. If you want to do that as well, LSP report on the Twitter machine for the main account. For Dustin, for Adam, I'm Matt. Talk to you guys next week. Go through some emails, check your calendar, see that you have a 45-minute break in the day between meetings, realize this is your moment. So you drive right to McDonald's to pick up something extra delicious ASAP. Meal. Thank you. There's a meal for every moment at McDonald's. Buy one of your select faves and get another for just a dollar every morning, like a sausage McMuffin or hash browns. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Valid for product of equal or lesser value. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Cabo meal, valid when product served. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.